1: Welcome to The Rocketship Podcast, I'm Michael Saka.
2: I'm Joelle Steiniger.
3: And I'm Matt Goldman.
2: And we're having 20 minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue.
3: Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter.
2: In today's episode, we talked with Heaton Shaw, founder of Crazy Egg and Kissmetrics. We talk about the pros and cons of funding versus self-funding, and the impact each can have on your focus and early-stage strategy. Heaton also talks with us about some common mistakes he sees early-stage companies making time and time again.
1: Welcome to the Rocketship Podcast. We're here with Heaton Shaw, the founder of Metrics and Crazy Egg. Heaton, thank you for joining us. Glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about getting started with Crazy Egg. Um, kind of take us back to what that looked like for you.
4: Yeah, um, Crazy Egg was uh, one of the first sort of SaaS products we built. Uh, my co-founder and I built um, with the help of actually outsourced engineers at the time uh, in in the U.S. Though, and uh, it was it was built mainly from a need that we saw while we were running a marketing consulting company, where um, people were trying to understand uh, data in a in a very uh, it was very difficult to understand data at the time. All we had was Google Analytics. Um, and a bunch of other analytics tools, but it was all numbers and stuff like that. And so we 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 noticed the problem, and then we wanted to figure out what to do uh, about it. And we tried a bunch of experiments. One of the ones that ended up working was Crazy Egg, where we basically show people where their visitors are clicking on their web pages. And, and uh, you know, being the marketers that we were, we knew that it would take a while to build the product. So what we did is we Actually, put up a page uh, that collected email addresses. This was before that trend was popular. This was in about end of 2004, beginning of 2005, and we collected I think like 23,000 email addresses uh, before we even launched the product. Wow! And from from there, yeah, it was like a little teaser. I mean, it's pretty cool to show a website uh, and show like a heat map on top of it. So. Uh, yeah, it was pretty cool back in the day, and we had just found interesting ways to promote that page, uh, such as uh, we bought some ads. That was one of the only times we bought ads business until recently uh, for, on a bunch of the CSS galleries. So for anyone that doesn't know, those are uh, CSS. this was when CSS was becoming an HTML uh, pre-CSS3, pre-HTML5, but it was becoming a more popular way to build interactive sites at the time. And this was like after the whole wave of flash sites and stuff like that in the beginning of sort of HTML and CSS and so uh, yeah, we noticed that we could promote to those sites
1: so when when you were building, it, how did you handle kind of balancing your agency and then you had this product that you were that you were pushing at the same time? How did you balance the workload?
4: yeah, one of the one of the tricks we used is we just made um, we treated the work on our own products as just another client. And so we used that sort of strategy to kind of keep doing the product work, but not get unfocused from dealing with our customers. And so the biggest thing was just treating it like another customer and slotting in that customer, slotting in the time and things like that. Um, That way uh, it didn't feel like something completely different or alienate. Uh, you know, the, what we were doing uh, on the other side of the business.
1: And so, what when you were um, kind of promoting this heat map, take me back to, I can't remember if Google was doing the heat map. Um, w- were they doing the heat map at this time, or was this a, a completely new idea for um, for marketing?
4: So, they've never had a heat map. They still don't. Um, oh. But they had something called a site over overlay. That's what it there was, was, yeah. A, there was a few other products uh a product called Click Tracks, and then um, even Omniture, I think, at the time, had a site overlay or something similar. The problem is all of those site overlays were based on um, page view data, and they weren't actually based on interactivity on a page, so when people could click on things that didn't lead to another page view. So one, one big key thing we noticed was their site overlay was very inaccurate because it was unable to differentiate between two links that go to the same page on the page. So it would just combine it and say, well, you had 50 people go from the top link and 50 people go from the bottom link uh, uh, because it was summing up the data. So it was actually pretty inaccurate. Our system could tell the difference between the top link and the bottom link.
3: And you can also track stuff that isn't a link, right?
4: Absolutely, yeah. So we were tracking what we call dead clicks. So clicks that wouldn't go anywhere. We would track things even like clicks on images, and any other sort of at that time when people called it ajax and you kind of ajaxy stuff too.
3: So what today what's your focus like are you working on both kiss metrics and crazy egg is there a team on crazy egg how's it look
4: Yeah th- there's about 5 5 people on crazy egg that are working full time not counting my co-founder and I um we don't really spend too much time on it today personally and most of our time is either spent on kiss metrics or um just you know helping these people uh that are the five people that are working on crazy. I just kind of keep working on it.
2: So what I'd actually like to dig into a little bit is, um, you launched your first product self-funded. Um, you treated it kind of like one of your clients and, uh, grew it from there. When you launched kiss metrics, you went the VC route. Um, why did you make that decision to go differently? Yeah,
4: We actually tried raising money for crazy egg and were turned down quite a bit. Um, At that time, I think people didn't really understand the value of uh, how all these small medium businesses are going to want tools Um, and enterprise, and B2B was considered mostly an enterprise effort, not necessarily uh, the kind of small medium business market we saw today. And so based on that, we just started building a bunch of relationships with a bunch of these investors. And uh, at Crazy Egg, we ended up wanting to work on a second product, and that's what ended up being Kissmetrics. And when we started talking to investors about about that product and the vision for it, they got a lot more excited about um, pretty much uh, wanting to you know kind of partner with us and give us some money so we can make it sort of a bigger business than we even originally thought. So that's how that's that's how we got funding for Kissmetrics. From a more personal perspective, uh, my my co-founder and I, we were really focused on trying to. Uh, learn and we wanted to, we were really, we had a desire to learn what like funding looked like. Uh, and so that, that's most of the reason why we did that.
3: What does it look like?
4: Um, you know, there's, there's, it's different. So I guess that's the first thing I would say. And what I mean by that is you, someone's giving you money, uh, to spend on your business so you can grow it as fast as possible. Also, um, you're, the way you think about your business is a little bit different, uh, because you're always, you're sort of thinking about how to build a bigger business sort of a little bit either faster or a little bit, um, much broader than what you would originally, uh, what you might have originally, uh, considered. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's different and people are essentially giving you money to join the kind of ride of building your business, which makes it so that you have sort of other people that are invested in it and want to see it get big, which is, you know, not necessarily a bad thing.
0: When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices, construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. at and business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. Backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep with Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com.
1: So, what have you done uh, differently with Kiss Metrics in terms of growth uh, that money allowed you to possibly pursue, or? Is there a difference in the way you approached your marketing for, for between Crazy Egg and Kiss?
4: Yeah, we were able to kind of uh, what I would call like spend spend before it was justifiable from an ROI perspective. So we were able to you know spend money on our blog, spend money on all these areas that uh, even at Crazy Egg like we weren't really we didn't really spend money on for a very long time uh, until it absolutely made sense. Uh, so in a self funded business. Um, you're sort of making money and making investments uh, with a short-term sort of ROI perspective just because you probably don't have any money um, and you, you're, you're going to do a lot more things with your time in that case that, that are uh, hopefully smarter and you're measuring for short-term gain while when, you, when someone gives you money you're able to make some longer-term bets um, much earlier in the life cycle of the business than you would as a self-funded business.
1: Was there anything that you found that you were able to apply to Crazy Egg uh, from the experimentation you were able to do with uh, KISS marketing?
4: Uh, we didn't really think about it like that. We've always considered the businesses to sort of separate businesses. Um, I, I w- I, I, the short answer is I, I think we're always learning. I don't think we've strictly looked at it like what do we learn um, doing KISS metric stuff that's going to help Crazy Egg. More importantly, I think. It's more about what have we learned um, just about running SaaS businesses because they're both SaaS businesses in general.
3: So all four of us are going to be at MicroConf this year in Vegas, and you're actually giving a talk about what's the talk that you're giving?
4: Uh, Something, well, it's one of my favorite conferences. It's always hard to show up there and sort of give a great talk for me, even compared to the other ones, uh, because it's just mostly about self-funded entrepreneurs and stuff like that. And so this year I came up with just how to grow a business as fast as possible uh, based on sort of my experience, but also the experience of talking to a, bu- a bunch of other entrepreneurs and helping a bunch of them. So the official title talk is How to Grow Yourself on a Business Faster. And uh, the general summary is um, it's, it's really about me outlining valuable growth and scaling tactics. Um, I'm, I'm still debating exactly how I'm going to frame it. Uh, one of my my latest thinking right now is that I think there's a lot of things that people don't talk about uh, when it comes to um, self-funded businesses and even SaaS businesses in general. And that has a lot to do with like uh, – for one thing, it's philosophies that lead to tactics that will help you think about your business in a different way. And so everybody talks about A-B testing or testing them. Tests they've run that win, or things like how to increase your growth rate, or how to validate your idea. Even I've talked about that, or even like you know the emails you should be sending your customers and/or users. And so I'm going to talk more about like just higher level um, thinking that you can have that help you think about growth in the business uh, and how to grow it faster as a self-funded business. And a lot of it has to do with like the time. The time you spend and where you put your energy at what at different points in the life cycle of the business, and then the other parts of it have to do with like um, really interesting or valuable, I would say, tactics that I've used around how to think about the business uh, and strategies that that kind of will help 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 with that. So hopefully, it's things most people have not heard before, uh, and then also my practical sort of implementation of those things as well.
3: So if you were approaching Crazy Egg again today, you know there's a lot of factors that would be different, but is there a change in how you would think about the growth and the potential of that company bootstrapping it now compared to before?
4: Yeah, you know what's interesting these days is that when we started, it wasn't about funding. Like We never really thought about that, uh, except when we started going and pitching people a couple years later. But like we really thought about it like we just want to solve a problem for people. And that was, that was a fundamental thing that we thought about and focused on. And so I don't think that part of it would change. Um, the part I think that I would think about a lot more would be the sequence of things um, and w- when we did them. So we spent a lot of time early on getting email addresses of users. Believe it or not, we really didn't email them until the product was launched. So one thing would be, you know, and it's pretty popular these days, is actually keep keep emailing them every week with something useful and interesting to them but also that keeps them more sort of interested in what we're building and share the story with them more which is not something we did and the other part uh, of it would be i think we 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 wasted a lot of time not spending money on advertising and we could have started spending money on advertising much earlier just to test what would work and what what wouldn't work for us and that probably would have led to a different approach to the product in general and, and uh, how we thought about it. Um, like, you know, think about customer acquisition more. At some point we ended up killing a free plan that we have, so now there's no free plan. I probably would have, you know, did a double take on that decision, uh, knowing what I know now. Uh, so there's a bunch of little stuff like that, but higher level um, I think the, the bigger thinking I have is just like what's the what's the kind of market you're entering or we're entering and how can we How can we think about it in a more uh, deliberate way? Uh, Those are probably the more key takeaways. And so so it's a lot more upfront thought about how this thing grows and where it's going. Regardless of funding, I think that's something that I don't see a lot of people do. They just want to solve a problem they've had uh, and put it out there. And I think there's a lot more to it than just that.
3: Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the episode. I wanted to take a minute to thank Codeship for sponsoring the show. We've been happy customers of theirs for a very long time. If you'd like to see how we use Codeship to deploy our product HookFeed, go watch the short video we put together at howtobuildarocketship.com slash Codeship. Enjoy the rest of the episode. I think you hit the nail on the head. I know with us, we lacked a lot of the deliberate thinking early on because we were just building something that, that we wanted and we figured other people would want it too. sort of 37 signals approach and now we're hitting a point where we need to start thinking bigger about hook feed and um, you know we're finding ways to do that but I wish we would have done it way sooner because it would have changed the trajectory of the product Um, so that's good to hear that it's the same with you
2: so you actually mentioned that uh, you would have advertised sooner Um, in today's landscape would you give that advice still to um Self-funded companies that are kind of in those early stages. Do you think that's still worth the investment now?
4: Yeah, I think you do it for different reasons. Um, we would have done more advertising around the value proposition, or I would do more value uh, value proposition testing um, and things like that in today's world, and less so around um, uh, just for acquiring customers. So I think there's a lot of a lot of people that would benefit from doing um, advertising. That they might not be thinking about right now for purposes beyond just acquiring the customer, but more understanding and assessing the demand for what they're doing and what they're going to do.
1: And so, for some of those kind of early stage companies, um, sales is such a uh, important uh, component, and it's it's something that I think we all kind of uh, veer away from at times. Um, what happens after um, you you grab someone's email? Um, what is your strategy for converting them into a customer?
4: I think, I think it's actually very difficult to create content that actually converts. And so what I, what we tend to do is create content that people love and use that to get their email address. Um, so we can give them more content they'll love. And in the process of that, um, set up some systems so that we can actually get them to, um, buy into the promise of a product of ours. And then use that to sort of, uh, upsell them into signing up for the product, uh, or something like that. So I guess for me, um, about it is these are just ways to get people into your funnel sooner than before they're ready to kind of sign up for a trial or something like that. And, and there's a lot of ways to do that. I mean, with, with Kissmetrics, actually the original thing that helped grow the business was a, a Twitter account, not the blog. And the Twitter account led to the blog. And and so to me I'm always looking for an opportunity that other people are, have not discovered right now around how to how to get the attention of potential customers. And believe it or not, for Kissmetrics it was actually Twitter first, not, not the blog. And and the Twitter account and the traffic we were able to gain of the attention is what led to kind of the blog.
2: And have you found that you need a lot of like one on one contact to really convert um a lot of people. I mean, do you have a staff that gets on the phone and, um, actually talks people through the product to convert them or is the self-serve model kind of working just after a certain period of time of the right messaging?
4: It's a good question. Um, in my experience, it really depends on how much you're charging. So if you're a service like Amazon where you can charge very little and someone can get started basically for free, um, even if someone even if like in three or four months they end up paying you tens of thousands of dollars, um you might never need to talk to someone just because it's like a sort of API based easy to get started, and it's likely that you're selling to developers um, if you're selling more of a product like we do for marketers, if the price points are under like a hundred bucks a month or maybe even five hundred bucks a month depending on the product, um you generally can convert people by having them sign up online and making it self service. Um, at Kissmetrics, the starting point is about 150 bucks a month, and so in that case, like we found it really valuable to help people sort of walk people through it and things like that. But all of that really depends on what the product is and who you're targeting and what segment of the market um, is a sort of you know you want to reach.
3: So the people that are on the phone talking to customers or leads, would you not really consider them a sales team and more like a customer? Success onboarding team.
4: It depends on the business. Some people need to be sold. Like some at some price points, people really want to be sold on the product and want to get a lot of help. Uh, you know, trying it out and stuff like that. And in other cases, um, you can get away with like not having to talk to them at all.
1: You You talk to a lot of um, entrepreneurs. It's one of the things that you're known for. Um, is there a kind of a common uh, mistake that you see people making in the early stages um, that you, you would love to give them kind of a, a tip about?
4: I feel like uh, that you, uh, when you're usually starting out, you've, these days there's enough information out there to, you know, for you to learn anything you want to learn from either a blog post or an ebook someone's selling you or even a free sort of video. Um, so, the content's out there, and there's more and more of it, and there's even people like all, all three of you that have shared stuff in blog posts uh, and stuff like that. And there's, you know, hundreds more like you guys and also me. Uh, and so, the biggest thing I see people doing is having uh, some level of para- paralysis around um, what to focus on and what order they should be doing different tasks. For their business or their company, or for making progress in their business. And so, uh, you know, I, I call these things basically like um, what you're really trying to do is um, focus in on what's most important right now. And when there's so much content out there and so much different advice, um, most of the conversations I end up having with people are mostly about what order they should be working on some of these things. And it, it's very hard to pinpoint it and say, hey, this is the one thing everyone should know, but I think the one thing that I would recommend everyone think about is, are you working on the right thing right now? And that's very personal based on your own sort of strengths and weaknesses, but also um, where this product or business is at right now. And so most of the stuff has to do with focus and and sequence of what you do and when you do it.
2: Yeah, I think that's awesome. I mean, we absolutely struggle with that on a daily basis and what we should be focused on. Um, I'm sure most people listening to this can definitely identify with that.
3: Thanks so much for coming on, Heaton.
4: Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. This is uh, one of the most interesting topics. And I think um, a lot of, you know, one of my things is that a lot of people don't have experience with funding and and self-funding and building successful businesses, or at least growing businesses uh, on that level. So always happy to talk about it.
1: Where can we keep up with you
3: um, online?
4: Probably Twitter is the most uh, active place I am right now. H.N. Shaw? You got it. Yep.
3: Perfect. Thank you. For sure. Thanks, Heaton. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you haven't yet, pop open iTunes and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. We have some really great ones lined up.
2: And while you're there, leave us a review. We really appreciate each and every one of them.
3: If I'm blocking if i existent these But I'm an architect, an astronaut, an So hey, you, get off my couch. You don't know me, Say the fuck out my mouth. But I'm a writer, you could quote i loud. a false poet, get my dough and I'm out. Your ears and ate the shrooms for your earlobe. A little rap, rap and cigarillo. A little bit of Wu Tang mixed with some Henry David Thoreau. A little ponder theory you could ponder on your pillow. This is for the day that your dad dies. But for some reason, all you're hearing is sad size. You're searching for nostalgia, but sad, you can't cry. So you check your iPod and search for some bad vibes. From that rap guy, raps over sad vibes. I wrote it in an
4: hour, dog, don't know what your dad's like.